This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Kevin. It's Friday night. It's Finsider Podcast Night. Uh, I'm flying solo tonight, so probably not going to end up taking calls. I'm sorry. You can try to call in. If I get a chance to put you on the air, I will. It's 347-326-9461. 347-326-9461. Easier way to get a hold of us is probably head over to thefinsider.com, put up a uh, question in the live thread, hit you up, hit us up that way. We'll get your questions on the air. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter, at The Finsider, or when you go over to Blog Talk Radio and you're listening to the show, as you scroll down the page, there's a chat room down there. I have that open, so you can get your questions in that way. I know uh, I know a lot of you like to call in. I know that we like to take those calls, but unfortunately tonight, just because of schedules and everything, I'm the only one that's here, so we're probably not going to be able to take your phone calls tonight. But we will be able to talk Miami Dolphins. Obviously, the big topic right now is the game last night, Thursday night football game. Dolphins go out and win it in overtime, 22-20, thanks to a walk-off safety. Only the third time in NFL history that an overtime game has ended with a safety. Cameron Wake comes away with that sack of Andy Dalton to get that safety. It was Wake's third sack of the game. He had a trifecta on his first sack with the sack, strip fumble, and recovery. So three sacks, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and a safety. That's a pretty good night, and I'm pretty sure unless somebody this weekend goes absolutely nuts, he's going to come away with AFC Defensive Player of the Week honors. So it was a really good game. Um Really enjoyable, probably the most enjoyable Thursday night game of this season so far. Those games usually are really, really bad. And this one was actually really enjoyable. I never want to see a game like that again because the second time the Dolphins punted in overtime, I'm pulling out what little hair I have, and it just was not feeling good. But it worked out in the end, and the Dolphins are 4-4. and and moving on to a Monday night game next week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. So two back-to-back primetime games for the Dolphins. Get a little bit of a semi-bye this weekend, so team will get some days off. Their next practice is on Monday. They'll get a chance to relax, rest, work out some of those injuries that we've seen coming up, and it gives them an extended time until the Monday night game against Tampa. So in that sense, it worked out really well. 
it's going to be strange on Sunday when we are dealing with no Dolphins once again for the second time this season or third time this season because of the Monday night football game, the uh, bye week, and now this week. And then we'll do it again next weekend when they don't have football on Sunday. So in those senses, Sunday is going to seem a little bit strange, but I do enjoy seeing uh, I do enjoy seeing the Dolphins on prime time. As you can probably see, if you rate if you read the Finsider, and you probably saw it this morning, my typical recap every morning after the game is usually a straightforward: Hey, this is what happened first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. This is where plays worked. This is where they didn't. And this is the outcome of the game. My recap this morning was absolutely nothing like that because I just could not get there. I was so excited still. And that was, what, 10, no, not 10, like six, seven hours after the game. So it was just, I I was so happy last night. It, it was It was crazy. So, uh the the one I posted immediately after the game did give you a good breakdown. When I go when I break into woohoos in the middle of a post, you know that I'm a little hyped on the win. So great win. Um I'm still in the let's enjoy the win mode. Not really into the let's break it down and see, okay, where do they need to work on things. Um I I, I will get there and we as a site will get there. But right now Enjoy the win. We're 4-4. Four and four. It snapped the four-game losing streak. And if everybody sits back and is honest about it, this is exactly where we thought this team would be before the season started. Everybody said 2-3 and three through the first five games into the bye week would be success. So 2-3, and three, you come out of the bye week, you beat the Bills, you lose to the uh, Patriots, and you probably win the Bengals game. Everybody said that before the before the season started. So you add that up, two and three, win over the Bills, three and three, lose to the Patriots, three and four, win over the Bengals, four and four. We're right where we wanted to be. We got there a weird way because we went three and zero, oh, then we went zero oh and four, and then we went one and zero oh again. So we got there kind of funny. It wasn't how we predicted it to go, and a four game losing streak sucks because now we're all dealing with having to have the frustration and the disappointment of a 3-0 and start to the season, making everything look great, and then a 0-4 flop. But the team is back on schedule. My preseason prediction was a 9-7 and team in playoff contention. They are currently in playoff contention. Four wins right now is the second wild card spot. So that, that's where they are. They're within striking distance of that. And then they are still five wins in the final eight games gets them to nine and seven. That's two games against the Jets. That's a game against the Bills. Two game or a game against the Patriots. A game against the Buccaneers. A game against the Steelers. And a game against Carolina. They can come away with five wins out of that eight. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to sweep the Jets. I'm not going to say they are going to beat the Patriots or they are going to beat the Bills. But out of that combination, two on the Jets, one on the Patriots, one on the Bills, one with the Steelers, one with the Buccaneers, and one with the uh, – who did I forget there? Carolina, and I'm still missing somebody. 
and that stinks because I had it just a second ago. But out of those games, they can come up with the win, so or the five wins. So nine and seven is still doable. This team can still be a winning franchise, and that's what we're looking for. If they make the playoffs, awesome. Everybody's going to be ecstatic. If they come out at nine and seven and miss the playoffs. I think that's still success for this team, and I think that we should absolutely feel like it's success for this team. Because, like I said, there are lots of things that can happen. I mean, if the three teams in the AFC West right now are sitting in playoff position, there's nothing we can do about the Broncos going crazy and sitting at 7-1 and one and being the fifth seed right now. So how how do you stop that? You can't. So – there's there's frustration there if we don't make the playoffs, but if you're nine and seven, you can. And this team can still go nine and seven. Will they? I don't know. We'll see how the rest of this uh, season plays out. But this team is in position that they can do it. Uh, last night, uh, Urbino just posted this in the live thread, and it kind of goes with where I want to go with this. Mike Sherman used some formations last night and did some things that were really impressive. And I know we're all frustrated with Sherman. I'm right there with you. The fact that we can't seem to run the ball in the second half, which we did yesterday. We ran the ball in the second half, maybe not as much or as effective as in the first half, but we ran the ball in the second half. And, yes, I'm using we tonight. Um, the, the Dolphins ran the ball in the second half, and they ran it effectively. But – Typically, they have not, and I'm frustrated with that, and I'm happy to see that they kind of are trying to fix that. Uh, you also notice that Go and Go-Go started changing a little bit. So they are trying to make adjustments, but at the same time, they're trying to make adjustments while we have things like the Jonathan Martin situation going on and injuries happening. So they're a little slow in the adjustments. Maybe over these next 10 days or whatever it is until we play again, then you will see some uh, changes in there. But I do, I absolutely love that look with Will Yeatman out there as a sixth offensive lineman, a tackle eligible. You're seeing Michael Agnew line up as a fullback, which is absolutely working. And at the start of this year, if anybody had said that Michael Agnew would be in a fullback position and it would work, you would have looked at them like they were crazy. Agnew is a pass-catching tight end out of college and couldn't get on the field last year because he couldn't block. Now he's out there as the lead blocker as a fullback. So it, it's amazing the development of Michael Agnew. He's not getting the pass-catching opportunities. Maybe those will come. But when Charles Clay is doing what Charles Clay is doing, you don't need Michael Agnew doing what Michael Agnew – or doing the pass-catching piece. You need Michael Agnew doing what he's doing. So there, there is that, let's say, unexpected predictability to some of the formations we saw. The Dolphins do still get predictable. They still do – kind of advertise what they're doing at times, but I think that you will see more of this, and this is where Abrino's question goes, is will we see 
Sherman continue to use the three-tackle look with Agnew in the backfield, and I think he probably will. Agnew fits that fullback role so well, and I would never have thought that. I knew that he'd be back there a few times because in preseason the Dolphins were doing that. The tight ends were all going back there. We saw Dustin Keller back there. We saw Charles Clay back there. So I knew at some point Agnew would be in that role, but I didn't expect to see him actually able to lead block like he can. And he has done it well. So that is a great, great step forward for him. Uh, The Dolphins, obviously, the Brandon Gibson injury, I don't think we saw the repercussions of it as much last night as we will in the future. Because it's such a short week, it's almost to the point that you're still trying to grasp the fact that he's not there and you're already playing a game. So you'll, you'll see more of an impact and more of a change in roles, probably with Charles Clay or Marcus Stigpin stepping up into that role more. Uh, Richard Matthews obviously will become more of a target, and they activated um, Spadola off of the practice squad. So there's your fourth wide receiver. So you, you'll see some of those evolve and come in. I, but I think that this game happened so quickly that you still don't see the uh, the impact of the Brandon Gibson injury as much as you probably would. I think that the Dolphins did miss him last night. There are probably plays where you're, you're screaming at guys because they aren't able to do what Gibson can do. It, it's unfortunate that he's gone for the year, obviously. Um, the Dolphins are going to have to find a way to adjust to it. And I, I think they will be able to. But I think that you, uh, you're, you're going to see it at times be frustrating where – you're looking for that guy to go out there and be the possession-type wide receiver, and we don't have that right now. They are kind of trying to find that with Charles Clay. We've seen Michael Wallace. Mike Wallace. Michael Wallace, that sounds funny. We've seen Mike Wallace in that role a few times. Uh, you obviously see Brian Hartline in that role. So th- there are guys out there that can do it, but I think that, Probably you're going to see Clay fill the role the most, and you'll see some hiccups and some frustration at times just because you don't have Gibson out there. Uh, During the game, Dolphins had a few injuries. Um, Nolan Carroll was probably the worst. He went out of the game with a concussion after being blindsided on a punt return, I believe it was. It may have been a kick return, but I think it was a punt return. Uh, absolutely got ear hold, and he left the game and never came back, has a concussion. Again, this is where that long extended bye week type thing may come in to help him, and he may be able to get back out there against the the uh, Buccaneers. So there, there's that potential. I don't know if he will. We'll see. It depends on how severe a concussion it is. The Dolphins may just not feel the need to rush him back. I think they definitely need him because there were definitely times there where R.J. Stanford did not look comfortable as he filled in. Uh, I'm kind of surprised Jamar Taylor wasn't the fill-in for Carroll, 
but for whatever reason he wasn't. The coaches didn't feel like he was the guy, so they moved on with Stanford filling in for Carroll. Um, Patterson's injury, he dropped to the ground. He, Everybody was worried that it was his groin again. I think I heard it was his knee. It may have been an ankle, but I think I heard it was his knee. But he says he's fine. Everything seems okay. So he should be ready to go when the Buccaneers game comes around. And finally, Richie Incognito left the game with a neck injury. Nate Garner filled in. Nate Garner did a good job out there. There were a couple plays, obviously, where he was not Richie Incognito, and he let guys through that he shouldn't have. But I was most I was most impressed with Nate Garner's ability to go in there because if you watched it, and the, the commentators talked about it a lot during the game, Bryant McKinney doesn't know his blocking assignments all the way yet. So Richie Incognito, no kidding, is telling him, this is what you're doing. And he's telling him it on each play to try to help him be in the right position. Well, if you watched it after Nate Garner went in there, he's doing the exact same thing. And I was really impressed with Garner for being able to do that. To Kenny, hey, you've got that guy, I've got this guy, pointing which way he's going. And, yeah, it gives away to the defense, hey, this guy's blocking me. But who cares at that point as long as Brian McKinney is able to put that ginormous body of his in front of somebody, we're okay to go. So I I was impressed with Nick Garner's play. Um, I'm going to answer a few questions, and then we'll probably go to the other major topic around the Dolphins right now, which is obviously the Jonathan Martin situation. Uh, Pocket Aces asked a few questions. When is Ireland going to give a contract extension to our key players, Grimes, Soleil, et cetera? My guess is that there are at least at least internal talks, a few feelers out there, but you're probably going to see those wait until the end of the year. Grimes might show up before then. Um, I think the Dolphins are still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do with defensive tackle. There's obviously the ability to sign both Soli and Randy Starks. My guess is they probably don't. I think they probably end up just signing Soli, but I think they're waiting to try to figure it out. Um, and it could also be the players. I mean, if Brent Grimes signs a contract right now, he might get a lot of money. If he waits and has another game where he jogs the length of the field, um, runs with a parachute attached to his back, the length of the field, because that was kind of funny. That man, he's not a fast guy. I mean, he's quick. He's not fast. But he did a great job in running that ball back for a 94-yard touchdown run or a touch, pick six. But uh, I think I think they could also be playing the hey, if I wait till the end of the year, maybe I get more money game. So it, it's it could be lots of things. I don't know when it'll happen. I think it will happen, especially on Grimes, probably on Soli too. Uh, you'll probably see a few more. I wouldn't be surprised if sometime in February you hear of Dustin Keller signing um, probably a few things like that I don't know what they're going to do with the tackle position do you re-sign Brian McKinney do you 
just go ahead and say, nope, we're using the first-round pick on a tackle, and he's going to be the starting left tackle from day one. There, there's, there are a few options out there. There are a few questions that have to be answered. So, obviously, things will work out eventually, but I think they, those extensions are probably coming, but they may not come this week or next week. This week would be a good one with the long delay, though. So, potentially, you could see it this week. I know I kind of talked in circles there, but as I'm talking, I was thinking about it too. So uh, why isn't Jordan getting more snaps? Uh, He played 26% of the snaps last night. And when your defense plays 93 snaps, that's a lot of snaps, 93. So uh, Jordan played 24, which is the same as Shelby. He – he, this is all, by the way, pocket ace is still. He had four questions. This is number two. Um, the, the Dolphins coaches seem very adamant on the rookies play few snaps. And I think part of that makes sense in the we don't want to have a rookie hit the wall and now we don't have him for the rest of the year. So I think – to some degree, that makes sense. I think you also have, if Deion Jordan is out there dominating the game, he gets more playing time. But Jordan isn't ready yet. And I say that knowing that everybody's going to go, he makes impact plays when he's out there. And he does. And he can. And he can go out there and do what we saw against the Patriots and run down the field with Gronkowski. He has that ability. But He's also a liability right now in the running game. Every now and then he'll set the edge really well, but most of the time he's not setting the edge to the degree that you really want him to. So you end up with a guy out there who may or may not be able to stop the run or turn it back inside, and the strength of this team is getting the run turned back inside, let Paul Soliai and Randy Starks or Jared Aubrick clog up that middle, and then you can uh, you can use LRB and Meesey and Wheeler to try to make the tackle. So I think that's part of the reason that you're not seeing Jordan as much, and part of it is just the we don't play rookies as much. Um, that's why they're not concerned about Jamar Taylor not being out there. That's why they're not concerned about Will Davis being out there. Those guys will get their turn. The Dolphins, the Dolphins almost almost prefer to do a red shirt year for rookies. They get out there, they get a little bit of experience, they get a little bit of playing time, enough to get their feet wet, but they would prefer veterans out there for the majority of the snaps because the veterans are used to the NFL game. And I fully believe that. I fully think that's what a large chunk of this is. Um, I, I agree that Deion Jordan needs more snaps because we all see it and we all go, he needs uh, he does he he needs more snaps because he is an impact player, but he's not he's not ready. Olivier Vernon is the better run stopping defensive end, and until Deion Jordan shows that he can be a run stopping defensive end, you're going to play. Olivier Vernon Moore, and that, that's what it just comes down to. He's not ready to start yet. He's not ready to be the number one defensive end, 
We all want him to be. We all want to see him out there getting the sacks, and he probably could. But the fact that he's he he can can be a liability in the running game, and we saw it last night on – and I use this as the example. We saw it last night on the ridiculous uh, Giovanni Bernard 60-some-odd-yard run that was a 35-yard touchdown where he ran from one or ran to one sideline, turn around, ran to the other sideline, turn around, ran diagonally through the middle of the field, and somehow Brent Grimes missed tackles twice on the same play. So I, I use that as the example. We need to be better against the run. I also recognize the fact that during the second or during the third quarter, that defense was out there for 27 straight plays. The Dolphins did not run a, fir- a offensive play in the third quarter until the two-minute, three-second remaining in the corner mark, quarter mark because the, uh, the, the Falcons – the Falcons, what am I saying? I need to stop reading and talking at the same time. The Bengals – there we go. The Bengals ran 15 plays before the 94-yard pick six from Brent Grimes and then the Dolphins turned around and kicked off, and the uh, the Bengals went 12 more plays. So the d- defense was absolutely exhausted when that Giovanni Bernard ridiculous run happened. I'm not surprised that they were missing tackles and falling down at that point. But I think that with the concern over running game right now, it makes more sense for Olivier Vernon to be in the game and rather than turn it over to the rookie, Deion Jordan, and hope that he's ready. Uh, question number three from Pocket Aces is, why did Sherman abandon the run again in the second half? I read somewhere that we had less than 10 running plays. Uh, I have to look. I, I don't know what the running play total was in the second half. I actually did not did not count them. Um, I'm trying to look them up right now, but... I don't see the – I'm looking for the second-half stats in the game book right now. But uh, I don't know. Um, let's see. In the first half, the Dolphins ran the ball 22 times. At the end of the game, the Dolphins had run the ball – 30 times. So they ran the ball eight times, it looks like, assuming that these are correct stats. Uh, it looks like they ran the ball eight times in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, he did. I, I, I thought that they ran better in the second half this week than previously. I Part of that may be the fact that they did go to some short passes. They did move the ball much more effectively through the air uh, than in some of the other series or games that we've seen, but I don't know. I don't know why Sherman likes to abandon the run in the second half because last week when asked the question of why did we abandon the run, the answer was the Dolphins were down 10 10 points and we had to pass, which wasn't true because the Patriots first tied it, then took a three-point lead, then took the 10-point lead. So during that time of the the tie and the three-point lead, why weren't we running the ball then? 
so there's there's obviously something that Sherman has against running the ball in the second half. Something that I thought of, and people use this a lot on Ryan Tannehill and why he shouldn't be the top ten pick and be a first round draft pick and wouldn't be a franchise quarterback was the Dolphin or Texas A&M. Tannehill could get the team out to a big lead, but then they always seem to lose in the second half. And everybody looked at Ryan Tannehill as not being able to control the team and win in the second half. But now we're seeing maybe why that was, because Sherman doesn't like to run the ball in the second half, apparently. And that could be part of why we're seeing the Dolphins not running it. It could be that correlation to Texas A&M with Sherman as the coach, not necessarily Tannehill as the uh, quarterback. And question number four, we almost lost another game in the second half. Who was responsible? Sherman, Philbin, Ireland, and why is front office not doing anything about it? I don't care. That's my answer. You know why? Because we won. I I don't want to say who was responsible for almost losing because we won. Who cares? We won. Leave it at that. Let it go at we won. And you know what? Later in this week or next week, we'll probably talk about, hey, why did it, why did we allow it to happen? But you know what? Right now, enjoy the win. Let's not point fingers and blame at who was responsible for almost losing because we didn't lose. We won. Enjoy the win. I know it's unusual for a Dolphins fan to actually get to enjoy the win, but do it. Enjoy the win. Enjoy the fact that we got to we got to 500 again. We got out of the four-game losing streak. We won in such a great fashion. I mean, Cameron Wake had an outstanding game, and when the offense couldn't get going, Cam Wake went out there and got it done. And enjoy that. Don't worry about who is responsible, Sherman, Philbin, Ireland, or why is the front office not doing anything about it. It doesn't matter because we won. We didn't, all, we didn't almost lose. We won. So let, it, let that for another day. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the win. Um, we've seen Clay in the backfield, too. It'd be interesting to see Clay Agnew backfield with the two of them shifting around. Absolutely, Urbino. And I think we saw that briefly at one point, and I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I think it was the play where the Dolphins had called timeout, and at the last minute, Agnew ran on the field. And the commentators were like, there's Agnew. How are the Dolphins confused coming out of the timeout, something like that? Agnew lined up. It, it was it almost looked like a pistol formation, but the running back on the right was not behind directly behind Tannehill, but kind of off to the right, but still but still like a step back. It was like a short shotgun, and then Agnew was on the left, almost in like a fullback type role. And I think it was Charles Clay that was that other running back. He it could be Lamar Miller. I could be wrong. I didn't get a chance to actually see it. I just I noticed it as Agnew ran on, and then they snapped the ball. It was, absolutely. I love that idea. Put Clay, put Agnew back there, and start moving people around because that's what the that's what the Dolphins need. They need to provide. They they need to force matchups and stop making themselves predictable. Uh, Urbino totally agree on Garner, sharp guy, having played pretty much every position online, probably helps him relate to McKinney too. Absolutely. 
Garner is the utility guy. He can play any of the positions. He played some center this year, which I think is the first time he's been center. Um, So I I think that you are seeing that ability of Garner to know every position is helping him when he's in there at guard tell McKinney what he needs to do. Um, I have to scroll a little bit. Sorry, Urbino's caught up to me or I've caught up to Urbino. Uh, Reference Jordan in the running game, it doesn't help that OV is dramatically better at setting the edge this year. Yep, like I said, OV is absolutely better. Um, We'll we'll have to keep watching that. Flirting Bader says, I saw Agnew blocking, but I thought blocking was his weak point. Why not Deion Sims? And it's a great point. Sims was inactive in this game because of a toe injury, so that's why he wasn't out there this game. You're, you're right. Deion Sims can very well fill that role. But Michael Agnew is doing it and doing it well. So don't worry about I thought that was his weak point because if he's doing it, let him do it. We don't see Agnew catching the ball as much as we thought we would, but obviously he figured out this NFL blocking game. And that kind of goes back to what we've talked we talked about in the off season. We as Dolphins fans are so quick to give up on somebody. I mean, you see it on Twitter and in the comments on the Finsider already. People are ready to declare Tannehill a bust and calling for Johnny Manziel. And I'm not exaggerating on that. It's out there that they need to get rid of Tannehill. He's a bust. He'll never be anything. And we, we as Dolphins fans are so quick to make a judgment on a guy, and that's all that guy will ever be. And I think that we forget guys take time to develop. I mean, Andy Dalton, everybody up until last night's game, he was already declared the October player of the of the month. Um, everybody was saying he's now an elite passer. He's taking that next step. He, he's getting there. He's developing into – the great quarterback that he will be. This is his third year. We forget that guys take time to develop. We expect seven, nine, whatever it is, draft picks we have that year to come out and be starters day one, and when they're not, we're ready to fire them. And that's what happened with Agnew. Everybody was, get rid of him, he's a bum, he can't do anything. And now he's starting to do things, and people are going, oh, wait, maybe he can be a player in this league. Will he ever be a stellar? I mean, is he going to be Tony Gonzalez out there? Apparently not. But he's he's functioning and he's doing good things for this team. So it's uh, it's out there. It's 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 good to see Agnew having success. Floridian debate Johnny freaking football. Who's saying that? If I'm telling you, it's on Twitter a lot, and I've I. I can't say for sure it was on the Finsider or if it was on the Finsider's Facebook page, but they, it's out there. People, people have talked Johnny Football. People have talked um, Winston. People, people, they, there is a lot of talk of the Dolphins either going after somebody like Manziel this year or tanking next year to try to get to the number one overall pick and go get a quarterback next year. And it, I'm telling you, it's weird. It's absolutely weird. The Dolphins are 4-4 four and four with a quarterback on pace for 4,000-some-odd yards, and we're worried about whether or not we should be going after Johnny Manziel. 
we are so quick to want to blow everything up and start all over, and then we don't give we don't have the patience to start over. So we expect to win every single year. And being a fan, that's what you want. You want to win every single year. But we don't ever think of these second and third order effects of what would happen. I mean, look at how badly we all wanted Kyle Orton and how badly we all wanted Matt Flynn and how much of a failure Jeff Ireland was for not getting Matt Flynn to Miami and not getting Kyle Orton, and we're all going to regret everything. Um, We talk about – we absolutely love to talk about how guys go out to other teams and find success, but at the same time, we're the first people in line going, cut that guy, cut that guy, cut that guy. And if Agnew got cut and went to another team and was blocking like this, people would be talking about how Ireland had – failed by cutting egg new too early. So it's it's we gotta we gotta control our temperaments and let 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 egg new develop, let let things like that happen. Um and Floridian Debater, I absolutely love that idea. Forget Johnny football. I want his wide receiver Mike Evans. That's a big boy. I would absolutely love to get Mike Evans. If we could somehow pull that off, I would absolutely a hundred percent get Mike Evans. Um most expensive rental ever, Matt Flynn. That is so very true. Who said that? Flirting Debater said that one. Absolutely true. Matt Flynn is a horrible, horrible, horrible for a lot of teams at this point. Although, I will say he may not be the worst ever because Carson Palmer might be the worst ever. But um, since we are talking Mike Evans and because he did just call in, let's go ahead and get Keith in here. And Hey, Keith, how are you tonight? Good. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm here all by myself until you called in. No, I'm sorry about that. No, not a problem. I was having fun. I was talking to uh, Urbino and the Floridian debater who are in the live thread, giving us some good questions. But uh, thoughts on Mike Evans and would it be possible for the Dolphins to pull him, getting him off? That sounded really bad. Let's let's re- re- rephrase that. Is there a way for the Dolphins to get Mike Evans? Yeah, uh, you mean like are they going to be in a position to draft him? Right. Um, I think Mike Evans is going to be the first receiver to go next May. I was actually just talking about this with my friend, uh, and I, who I went out to dinner with before I, I got home tonight. But because um, uh, currently you'll see like Marquise Lee is the highest rated receiver, I struggle to see a scenario in which Lee goes before Mike Evans. Thing is, Evans is isn't that sharp of a a route runner. I mean, he's he's okay, but he's very much a, a down the field threat. I mean, it looks like he has above average speed, and I mean, he's an enormous target. I mean, he's well above six five. So, um, I, I'm. I, I mean, it would be great to get him, but the one thing you have to identify is: Are you just looking for him to bring that sort of uh, that chunk aspect to the the passing game that uh, NFL Network? Reminded uh, uh, Dolphins fans over and over last night that the their team does not have right now. Um, <laughs> oh man, just constantly, and, and and that's fair. I mean, I sent that text to you last night. Their their second half offense is just 
so devoid of any sort of explosion whatsoever that it, it's maddening. I mean, it's almost like going in reverse. So, I mean, Mike Evans would definitely do do wonders for us in terms of of getting the ball downfield. But I mean, he doesn't really fit um, your conventional West Coast offense. Just uh, just at, at at face value, just looking at him through the season. I mean, there are, there are certainly ways around that and. The, the old adage is that great players will fit regardless regardless of scheme. So uh, it depends what you're really looking for him for, and um, it really depends on where the Dolphins finish. Uh, God forbid, but if they're in the middle, middle of the first round again, I don't think that's probably out of out of the Evans territory. I think he's probably going to be a uh, I can see him being a top eight. I think he'll run faster than people think. And, I mean, people will just see a faster, stronger Vincent Jackson, and they'll fall in love. It's not a bad comparison. I like the Vincent Jackson comparison. Well, I mean, it's I mean they're both 6'5", uh, uh, yep. real angular-type presence on the field, a red zone nightmare. Um, Vincent Jackson, I think, ran in, like, the four fives. Uh, I think he came out of uh, northern Colorado and um, out of college. And, I mean, he was in the four or five, which is fantastic for a six five guy. You know, I mean, when right. you're really talking about uh, really building up your speed when you when you are that lanky. But Evans is just a, just a total nightmare. Now, the one thing you have to consider is SEC cornerbacks this year have not really been that good. Right. Uh, and but I mean it doesn't I don't think that that's really something you can use against him. I mean he's dominating his competition. That's all you're that's all you can ask him to do. And he's a matchup he's a matchup issue. I mean he, he's not a, a Calvin Johnson type guy. I mean he's not going to go out there and run run a real low four three and just absolutely uh, dominate the entire combine in terms of athleticism. But I mean he's a He's a post-up type guy. He gives you an immediate presence in the red zone. And, I mean, he affects a and offense. I mean, he gets down the field uh, pretty quick for a guy his size. And, I mean, he, he makes big plays down the field. He can go up and get the ball. You know, he looks like he's a, a pretty uh, pretty good leaper. So it's a great, it's a great thought. There's, um, there's, if you're really looking to spark the offense, though, I think the receiver you got to look at is probably Sammy Watkins. I can see that. I, I think that, I mean, I obviously I'm right here in the middle of Texas A&M country. I basically am split right down the middle between A&M and UT. So I, I obviously see Evans a lot, and I would absolutely love to find a way to get him. But you're probably right. He, he He's not a West Coast guy. He's more of the, I just want him because he's a big body and that can run. <laughs> he's a matchup problem, which is, I mean, under, I mean to be fair, even though he doesn't really fit the West Coast scheme, it's still uh, the name of the game in, in this offense is creating matchup issues, and he certainly does that. But we don't I like that... matchup. We don't like making matchup problems. We like to just line up and say, this is what we do, and we'll do it again on the next play. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, like we have a wealth of guys right now. 
who do a great deal of work considering what they had. I mean, Brian Hartline looked good last night. Uh, I felt like that big catch that he had to really uh, get get down the field late in that game to set up the field goal, it looked right. like that his second foot was gliding over the on the ground, but it didn't look like it ever touched. I, and it I did like, the same thing, and I've watched it a couple times, and the only thing I can figure is I think it tapped as he was falling out of bounds. I think it tapped when the defender was, like, under him. It could be. I it think. looked like when he, he snapped his foot on the ground, and when he did that, it was, it was out of bounds, which had me thinking. I mean, he's usually very aware of the boundary line, and it's almost yeah. like his, his reputation might have built him out there because, I mean, it, it looked like he was catching some grass on that, but usually you see where you'll see some turf kick up. And I was right. waiting for that, and I when he was coming out of bounds, I was like, you know, that foot is awfully close. I mean, it is hovering literally centimeters over the ground, but I don't know if it touched. But anyway, you know, whatever. And the uh, the vice president, I can't think of his name right now, the vice president of officiating, when he came on after the game to explain to the NFL network guys, he, he said the first thing, obviously, they were talking about was the safety. And I don't understand. A lot of people had issues with the explanation that if any part of the ball is out of the end zone, then it should have been not a safety. But they, for some reason, are looking at it like that. I look at it like if this was a touchdown, if any part of the ball is across that plane of the goal, it's a touchdown. It's got to be the exact same rule for the safety because the goal line starts at the start. At the, so if any part of the ball is across the goal line, that's a touchdown. And I would think the exact same thing on the safety. So I don't know why a lot of people were surprised on the if the ball is in the end zone at all, it counts. But he explained that, and then he did go into the uh, Brian Hart line, and he talked that, yeah, looking at the replay, and the replay official actually confirmed that call, um, that he did. He got that first foot in, and he tapped the second. And after he was off the phone and gone, Warren Sapp is sitting there going, if he taps, you see some part of the dirt come up. You see something fly, and nothing ever flew. So it kind of goes to what you said. Usually you do. You see something fly. Yeah, when he he gets the – when he really puts that foot on the ground is when it's out of bounds. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly close where it could have been dragging grass, which is part of the field. So, I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, that that was something where I was surprised he didn't challenge that. I was, I was trying to. Um, question from Urbino, and I, you are more of a, excuse me, you are more of a tape guy and breaking things down. He, he's asking, why is it that if a team is on is in third and long, they're going to convert against us? Do you see something that is systematic or systemic that is? Um, that is causing teams to be able to convert third down against the Dolphins' defense over and over and over? Well, the the number one rule when it comes to third down and long is that you should be able to rush the quarterback. Uh, you should be able to get pressure on that. And I feel like we're a team that doesn't consistently get pressure, which is strange because I feel like we have several weapons up front to do that. The really good teams can get that pressure without blitzing, which is why when the, the Giants have gotten hot, in previous years, that's why, I mean, third down against those guys is pretty much, uh, it's a waste. 
because I mean they're getting they're getting hard constant pressure on your quarterback with just their front four. So you're looking at a a defensive line right now that outside of Cameron Wake is pretty inconsistent in getting to the quarterback, and uh, it seems like at times they want to bring in the blitz too, and that's not working. Whenever you're struggling a third and long, you're not getting to the quarterback. That's my opinion. I mean, I, you got to see I think that, what, that constant pressure. I think what's driving people crazy is Coyle loves to blitz. I mean, he does it on any down at any point. He loves to blitz. Then he loves to blitz on third and long. And what's driving people crazy, I think, are the screen pass, the three-yard dump off, that then goes for 15 yards because nobody can get over there to tackle them. And I think that's what's driving people crazy is the quarterbacks are doing a good job of reading the blitz and getting the ball out of their hand quickly, and we're not responding and we're not changing things. And I don't know. Well, no, no, that's that's fair. And to kind of add on to your point, another thing I've noticed with this team this year is uh, the the back two levels of defense that really suck at getting off their blocks. Yeah. Uh, so you're seeing, like, uh, like last night, there were several instances in which our, our defensive backs were uh, hung up on blocks and just, um, I think there were a couple plays uh, in the fourth quarter, actually, when Cincinnati was driving down the field to, to put the put them up by three when it was 2017. There were several plays on that drive where they, they threw the screen, and then it's like all of our all of our guys in pursuit are just hung up on blocks. They just cannot get off them. And uh, yep, part of that is true. And go on. Oh, well, I mean, that's the appeal of when you draft guys like D Milner these days. I mean, these guys who are really built up top, uh, right. I mean, you're not drafting them because uh, you're impressed with their chiseled arms. You're looking for guys who can, who can uh, separate from their blocks, who can really get into their man and, and drive them away. And that's something. And I uh, think that okay, that's something that Sean. That's something Sean Smith gave us. Yeah. Sean Smith oh, had man. that size. Yeah, uh, and and complete inability to do like more than three bench. Oh yeah, uh, three reps on the bench press. But oh, yeah. I mean, but, there's just, there's a, a startling lack of physicality with our. Our, our corners right now. And that's something that you miss with Vontae Davis, which is, it's strange, by the way, all these people are starting to, it's like they miss Vontae Davis because Chris Collinsworth <laughs> was was all over him during that game. But you have to understand, Chris Collinsworth isn't watching every game, okay? I, he might be the voice of Sunday Ticket right now. He's not watching every game. And a lot of the comments he made there, how he was talking about how Vontae Davis was just a bang-up presence since he got to Indianapolis. He was ranked one of the worst corners in the league last year. He was terrible. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, yeah. I mean, he in that game, uh, he managed to uh, – he's the type of corner where, yes, he's a physical guy, and he got in a matchup with a, a Denver receiver group that, in my opinion, is not very physical. Their most physical guy is probably Demarius Thomas, and that guy is by no means a bulldozer. So, I mean, that's a very favorable matchup if you're Vontae Davis because you're looking – I mean, you're going to get guys like Eric Decker – uh, and uh, Demarius Thomas and Wes Welker, and you can you can beat them up a little bit. So that's a favorable matchup for him, and we really don't have that right now. I think it's weird. I feel like our 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 most aggressive corner in terms of hitting might be Brent Grimes. I think it is. And I mean, yeah, which is strange because he's he's quite tiny. 
but, I mean, he's I definitely think, a gamer. He, I mean, he gets his nose in there, and, I mean, he's not afraid to make a hit. I think they made a comment about that last night, and that's very cool. But I think that, I mean, it's too it's too early to know what we'll get from guys like Jamar Taylor. I know Will Davis is the kind of guy who can lay a, a hit or two. That's, he's, um, that's what I was about to say. I think Will Davis, whenever Will Davis finally gets in there, he'll be that guy that will go lay somebody out. Unfortunately, we're getting to a point where, we lose a couple more games, and we can start to bring in our rookies because, I mean, we're going to be out of playoff contention. It's a very, very tight AFC this year. So I don't want to say we're out of it, but, I mean, we, we I feel like we lose a couple more games, and we're on the outside looking in for good, and uh, for this season, that is. And I mean, that's unfortunate, but, I mean, you're talking about how the AFC West has two teams uh, that are just running away with it. And part of that is the fact, I mean, I understand Kansas City is a good team this year. They are improved. Uh, They're better quarterback play. They don't turn the ball over often. You have to understand, though, they've beaten some really bad teams. They have. I don't believe they have played a team with a winning record yet. I don't believe. I don't think they have. I think that um, the the closest uh, they've they've come in terms of, I'm trying to think, Right, Dallas. And is Dallas four and five, four and four? I think they're four and four. Um, I think they're four and four right now. Yeah. So I mean, the, the best team they've beaten was five hundred. So I mean, they, they're improved. I mean, they're doing a good job. But I mean, the thing is, you you, you play the schedule you're dealt, and I mean, they they happen to play. They play some really bad teams this year, and they've made they've made hay with it. And I think that they'd give Denver a problem because they're built they're built to run the ball, and yet they can. They're very efficient in the passing game, and you've seen Denver secondary is very hit or miss. Uh, and they, when you're waiting, when you're waiting for Champ Bailey to come back, you're asking for it because I mean, I, saw, just... um, I think it was, I think it was Jeff Darlington, but I'm not 100 percent saying this earlier this year, and I didn't think about it at the time, but now thinking about it right now, it makes so much sense. The Chiefs are the 2008 Dolphins. They're That's fair. the team that gets hot, bounces back from a horrible season to surprise a lot of people, maybe is not playing the top caliber stuff. Because, I mean, the the 2008 Dolphins took on a Tom Brady-less uh, Patriots. I mean, so it, it, it makes a lot of sense, I think, that they, they are – the 2008 Dolphins, and maybe they do finish this out. Maybe they do have a great run, but I think you're right. They're I not a Super Bowl team, though. There's no, no way in I don't think so. I don't, I don't buy it. I think that um, they, they've they played some close games against some really bad teams. So, and to be honest with you, I thought Oakland should have beaten them. I think Oakland's better than their record in the case. I think they're inconsistent. I mean, you can't really expect Terrell Pryor to get in there every week. I don't think Terrell Pryor is the long-term answer either in Oakland, but I think that he's certainly a serviceable guy right now. I mean, you're talking about a team that's rebuilding anyway, so they can get away with that. Uh, one question that came in, they're talking about Tannehill using the hurry-up often and changing the protection scheme at the line. Uh, you're really, if you, if you want to blame, point any fingers on the offense right now, um, honestly, I, I'm probably looking in Mike Sherman's direction, and I don't Try, I try not to point fingers right now because, I mean, there's a lot going on. Everyone's trying to get everything figured out. Uh, we're 
technically in the second half of the season now, everyone's just trying to make sense of what what everything that's happening going forward. But there's a distinct lack of pop in the play calling right now. There are several um, several instances last night where we try to run for it uh, in you know like third and one, very like um, short yardage situations, and we couldn't get it. And everyone says, well, that's because the offensive line. Uh, struggles to get a push. Well, don't you think your offensive coordinator knows that? And I mean, you're you're going against one of the best um, defensive fronts in football, arguably the best front seven in football until Geno Atkins went down. Yep. So why are you why are you trying to get a push against those guys? I mean, Incognito's out. Uh, and Pouncey is uh, Pouncey's Pouncey, subpoena or not. Uh, you like you like uh, Bryant McKinney, but I like him more in pass pro than I do as a run blocker. In fact, you can make the case that he was one of those guys that really changed the way where I mean he comes out and people are like, oh, yeah, I mean he's decent as a as a run blocker, but he's just dynamized in pass pro, and that kind of set the tone in terms of you you saw the guys who were drafted throughout uh, the previous decade, you know, decent run blocker, dynamite in pass protection, go get him. So, hey, I mean, it's got to be Mike Sherman, in my opinion. I think that his play con it's weird. And the the thing is, people think, well, I mean, Tannehill uh, has essentially grown up in Mike Sherman's offense. You know, why why would you – I mean, what happens if we do away with Mike Sherman? And to that, I'd say, uh, if you don't do something now, you're almost going to sit there and uh, really uh, – on Tannehill's growth as a as a quarterback, because some, right. something's got to give right now. Because you saw he made some dynamite throws last night on that on that drive to tie the game late. That one to Heartline, and that thing was gold. Yep. I mean, he gets he gets it up and over the top. That is not something you don't make that throw if you suck, or even if you're a mediocre quarterback. That is pro uh, pro material there. So I mean, something's got to give. I think you're right. I I don't like, and I've said this on the site, I don't know how many times I say it when we get into the um, Fire Ireland versus keeping him debate. I don't like calling for people's jobs. I It's not my position, I don't feel. I'm not, I'm not capable of doing their job. So I know that I wouldn't be the solution. And I'm somebody who very much so believes in – this is probably the military piece of me that if I don't have a solution, I don't bring up a problem until I know what the solution is. Um, I, I I am to the point that if you tell me this week the Dolphins are making a change and either um, uh, Sherman is out or Philbin's going to take over the play calling during the game, something like that, and I know Philbin hasn't ever done the play calling, because he he was the offensive coordinator without play calling duties in Green Bay. I, I got it, but if you tell me that, I'm okay with it this week because we do have the long extended ten days or whatever it is till our next game. And I think you're right. I think we're getting to the point where um, having Sherman here to help usher Tannehill into the league made a lot of sense. But Tannehill's to the point where he's outgrowing that offense now. He is he he's outgrowing what Sherman wants to do with him. And yeah, man, it's, I mean, it's, you've got to do something with Tannehill. I mean, you can tell right now if he wants to grip it and rip it. 
You know, like, I mean, he's, he's ready to go. He made some throws last night where, I mean, he's got the arm for it. Uh, it's time to just, uh, you know, let him off his leash. And it's really weird. It's I can't figure I've never been a huge Mike Sherman fan. Uh, I constantly talk how I'm from the Midwest. Uh, a ton of my fans, or a ton of my fans, uh, my friends are Green Bay fans. <laughs> so... And, you know, I mean, so, I mean, when I think of Mike Sherman, I think about when uh, Warren Sapp blindsided Chad Clifton and Mike Sherman yep. pretty much challenged Warren Sapp to a fight because that makes so much sense. He won't kill you or anything. So, <laughs> so that, that's what I think of him. And, I mean, I've just, I'm not a fan. I haven't been a fan of his play calling since he since he's been here. And I understand that we're we're trying to run – uh, a certain brand of West Coast scheme that that Tannehill uh, developed in at Texas A&M, but I, I'm just not seeing the fruits of uh, all the work right now because he Tannehill's a better quarterback than how he's played. Yeah, I mean, like when people are calling out your offense as not being chunk, you know, like a chunk yardage team, we have a quarterback perfectly capable of putting up chunk yardage numbers. No problem. And I don't a, think and a wide receiver that you paid a ton of money to be a chunk wide receiver. Right. I mean, and you can play pitch and catch with them, or you can throw it eighty yards downfield, and he'll find a way to get it. And I think we were actually robbed of uh, if Terrence Newman doesn't interfere with him last night. I think that uh, that's a home run right there. I think that. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah he, oh yeah. He, I mean, he's gone. But it it just seems like he, this offense moves. Sometimes it looks like it's moving too slow, and I don't know. I understand that now people are complaining: do we run? Do we run too much? Do we run enough? Why the hell is Daniel Thomas in there? So on and so forth. Um, I think you're going to say, I mean, Daniel Thomas has to go. I mean, I thought that he was a guy who could have been uh, serviceable for us. I certainly didn't think he was worth a second round pick, but especially running a four six, uh, he's like you know. Yeah, he's the kind of guy where you draft him and you, you hope you get like an Alfred Morris type player out of him and it just hasn't worked out that way. I mean he, he kinda of plays soft, but then he'll like he'll throw down some nasty Jew kind of defender and you think, Oh, well I mean, there's room there's room to grow here and there is, but at some point you just gotta kinda of cut your losses. Well, so, I I'm not know. sure about that. What I want to know, and I won't go into the Daniel Thomas because I, I do I believe that there's still a role for him on this team. Um, I like what he does. I think that I, I absolutely agree that Lamar Miller needs more carries, but I think that having somebody like Daniel Thomas, who one can pass block, and two is the exact opposite of Lamar Miller, is absolutely something that they need. But what I want to know is. You don't see Tannehill audible very much. And I don't know if that's a design thing or if he doesn't feel comfortable with it or what. But it's weird because you hear Philbin say, well, every play we have has a checkout. So he can check with me and turn a run play into a pass play or a pass play into a run play. But you never see him do that. And granted, maybe he is with hand signals or something, and we just haven't noticed it yet because we're all too busy going, is he saying go or saying go-go on this play? Um, but I don't know. It just it seems like 
it almost feels like they are handcuffing Tannehill to whatever play Sherman calls, and that's what we're running. Whether it's run a sweep play to Daniel Thomas on third and one, even though Daniel Thomas can't get to the edge because he's not fast enough and the offensive line isn't blocking well enough, or if it's we're going to chuck it 85 yards down the field on second and three and then run the stretch play on the next play. To, I, I don't know. It just it seems like there's no audibling, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's a Tannehill thing, if it's a Sherman thing, if it's a Philbin thing. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. Well, I can tell you it's not Tannehill. Uh, Mike Mayock pointed out that play last night when uh, Cincinnati brought the safety down and loaded up the box and challenged him to throw. And, I mean, he, you're pretty much in a running down, and he took out of that and and, and beat him. He did. Uh, so, I mean, like, I, and the, guy's, the guy is in, very intelligent. I mean, this guy doesn't have a Jake Plummer-type brain. You know, right. it's not like they, they have to sit there and rework the playbook and, and divide the field up into thirds or halves for them. It's not like that. Uh, anytime you're seeing a, a lack of, uh, of audibling, and you know your quarterback has a brain and can read the entire field and is capable of, of – I mean, he made progression reads in college, uh, mm-hmm. which is something that you don't really see that much of. I mean, that's uh, that's rare air in terms of, of college quarterbacks being able to uh, progress through their entire read. Um, so I don't think it's him. I'm not really sure what's going on. I keep coming back to Sherman, though, and like I said, I don't like I don't want to point fingers at this point because I understand they're they're trying to just get things corrected and whatnot. But there's a lot of whenever your your offense is is that stagnant in the second half, I'm looking in the OC's direction every time. So yeah, I mean I don't know, but when and you're up it, it's three, always it's always the second half. It's odd. Now you have to. You're right, the 17-3 to thing, but I'm actually okay with the fact that the, um, the, the, the Bengals came back on the Dolphins from 17-3 to make it to 20-17 to and all that because that second or that third quarter was ridiculous when they take 13 minutes off the clock and run 27 plays before your offense gets a chance to get on the field because of the pick six, there's no way that defense could hold up against that. I mean, uh, Brent Grimes after the game said that's the most tired he's ever been in in football. He was just absolutely exhausted. Now he also had the 94-yard, well, we'll say a 50-some-odd-yard sprint and then a 40-yard dragging a parachute behind him. But – it just, it was, uh, oh, Brooklyn just beat Miami 101 to 100. I think that's two losses in a row for the Heat. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't, don't get going started on them. <laughs> but, uh, no. uh, uh, no, you I know think, what? I think that Have the offense. I'm sorry. Oh, don't do it. If oh, don't do it. Those LeBron commercials, the new ones. The one where everyone's following him? Yes. Just, I mean, I, somebody made the joke on Twitter. He's like, I love those commercials because they're true. He's like, when he goes to Los Angeles, everyone's going to follow him. <laughs> I was like, 
was like brutal. Uh, getting back to what you're saying about the defense, I agree about the defense. The fact is you're not going to hold off. Cincinnati, Cincinnati has far too many weapons. Uh, Gio Ivanar yeah. is an outstanding running back. I mean, you, I mean, you're talking about the second-best receiver in football, in my opinion, in A.J. Green. I mean, you're not going to hold those guys to three points for an entire game. But my problem is, all right, Cincinnati ends up scoring 20 points. You had 17 at the half. You score one more touchdown, that game is over. Right. All you got to do is make one – is put one drive together against a defense – I mean, a very good defense. I understand that. I mean, Cincinnati is no joke. They're very aggressive uh, in the secondary, uh, and they get their front seven is very good at getting after the quarterback, and they're very good at getting after the run. But th- this thing where you had 17 points, in the first half, and you score three in the second half, and that that three was at the at the very end to tie the game is ridiculous. That yes. is not winning football. We don't have it's a just, second half offense at all. Uh, to the Floridian debater, I would not worry about Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. I don't think either. Uh, I wouldn't care what either of those guys say. Even though I dislike the Heat, I dislike those dudes just as much, which is why when the Celtics and Heat used to play, I would just hope that, like, you know, like the hand of God would come up and just swallow the basketball court with all of them on it or something. <laughs> so uh, don't worry about them. They're they're complete garbage, and the Nets are total scum. But I mean, the, and getting back to the other thing, I keep I keep going off on these tangents, but that's just not winning football. And I mean, if you want to win games, especially in, a, in an ultra competitive AFC this year, uh, sitting on these these first half leads, it's, I can't. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster uh, against Cincinnati. I mean, what do you think? Is, where do you think it's going to get you against teams like New England? I mean, we saw that last week. Yeah. You know, I mean, those guys those guys were just absolute shell shocked in the first half, and we just, I mean. We just pretty much buttressed them to a, a ten point win, I think. I think that's what it finished at. But there's yeah. here's my question to you. Uh suppose Sherman moves on after this year, and to be honest with you, point, I kinda hope he does. And I, I hope that doesn't sound like a knee jerk thing, but I'm I'm thinking in the best interest of our, of our quarterback right now. I don't have a problem with Jeff Ireland. I like the moves he's made. Uh I I don't have a problem with the ownership. I have a problem with the offense right now, and I don't think it's the guy who's who's executing it. I think it's the guy who's calling it. So right. if if you're in charge next year, you get to be Jeff Ireland. Boo, boo, Jeff Ireland. I'm just trying to get you in the mood for this. Uh, <laughs> who would who would you look to to bring in? Are you going to go for a, another strict West Coast type guy, or are you going to look for someone who who's a little bit more experienced in terms of uh, stretching the field? Or maybe because um, I mean you do have Mike Wallace in town. That's a great question. Um, right, like you know, I mean, you're, I mean, it's unlikely you're going to see I, a, uh, another coordinator make a lateral move. I mean, there could be someone on right. someone. Um, but I mean, there's several options here. Um, Bring up a guy from college. I probably... I, I I probably want to go away from the West Coast offense, honestly. 
Uh, one man just brought up a thing where he said your your head coach is a West Coast offense guy. Doesn't that answer it? Not necessarily. I mean, we I, I don't think you can think of in terms of absolutes with this. In that, uh, I, you've seen offenses where I mean, the thing is, you think about like the San Francisco 49ers and that Bill Walsh West Coast offense. I mean, that was very much a, an angular horizontal type game. Uh, yep. And then I mean, you've seen guys. You like Philadelphia when they started to bring in like a Deshaun Jackson, and they added added that that over the top threat, which really just further further enhanced the horizontal nature of that of that offense. Suddenly, suddenly you have guys who can go vertical, and it's not limited. Now you're kind of, it's almost like a weird hybrid type of offense. And I mean, the Green Bay Packers have done uh, a little bit of that too. They're they're not nearly as vertical as the Philadelphia Eagles were, but well, I just – I really think that uh, – I, I don't want to sound like an ageist, but don't you maybe want to get someone in there who's a little younger? Yes. Do we need a father figure for Ryan Tannehill, or do we need a guy who's going to be like an older brother? I'm going with the older brother. <laughs> um, I'm trying to come up with a name. John Gruden? Um, I'm kidding. I hate that guy. Because uh, there are some quarterback coaches. Uh, would you hire Kyle Shanahan? I wouldn't be against it. I mean, um, I mean people are going to say, well, I mean, that guy runs a little bit of both. But I mean, the, guy's, the guy's father created some some modern concepts in the West Coast offense. When you look at the best series, that was popularized by Mike Shanahan. You know, when I mean, when he's in there, I mean, like, those offenses were running that mesh series. Guess what? You go over the middle, you're going to make contact with someone on the other team. How so. about you want somebody who – how about – um? How about Joe Lombardi? Interesting. You want somebody young. He's a quarterback's coach right now for Drew Brees. Um, So he'd bring a style of offense that's what New Orleans is running. He's somebody Uh, who he was considered – he was considered as a potential last year, though he's still young and not somebody who was like a top-of-the-list guy, but – he might be somebody to consider. Agent Plus, J brought up Zach Taylor. Would you consider that? Lombardi on your staff. Whenever you have a Lombardi Zach Taylor's, on your staff. Zach Taylor's awfully young. Yeah, he is. I mean, like, um, I like, I mean, I love that idea if you could put, like, five years on him. Um, see, Chad Pennington. Hmm, interesting. Chad uh, Pennington would be an interesting one, but I think, I think you have to get um, – if you promoted Zach Taylor – and then put CP10 as the quarterback's coach, I think you could be golden right there. Yes, yeah, I mean, CP10's got a, a quarterback whisperer thing to him. Like, you know, it's like Robert Redford going up and touching the horse, and then the thing stops freaking out. I mean, uh, yep. Uh, one thing I want to address for uh, Mr. Urbino, uh, 
who got their vino for, by chance. Uh, <laughs> he's, we're not talking about going to a completely different offense. We're talking about bringing in a guy who might be a little bit more willing to take chances downfield because I'm starting to think Mike Sherman is not. Uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to scrap the West Coast, but I want somebody no, who no, no, go no, away from it. Yeah. We're looking to get a little more aggressive, if you if you will, because I think we have a quarterback who can do that kind of thing, and I think he's got the the brains to. Because the thing is, you get a in a more aggressive offense, uh, you gotta you gotta be able to control it. Otherwise, you let it get out of hand, and then I mean, you're talking about a mess of a situation. <laughs> I think Dan Hill's too good for that. Agent J points yeah, out. Taylor's only five years older than Tannehill. That is the older brother role. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would like him. I would like uh, Taylor to be five years older than Taylor. Uh, that would be good. I mean, it, it's funny because we're talking about how Sherman's too old. It's like uh, remember that movie uh, Liar Liar when they're when they're doing that roast and they ask him to roast that Simmons. Like, Simmons is old. Should have been on the game. He should have been out of the game years ago, but he can't go home because he hates his wife. <laughs> I don't know Simmons Sherman's turning into Simmons for me where I'm like I don't know he just seems salty uh, one I thing I do, I, I do want to bring up that was, I felt like was overlooked last night was uh, when we were stuffed on that third and one uh, I think it was in overtime and it led to that punt which uh, resulted in uh, the sack for the safety for the win Uh I, wasn't that uh, Agnew in the back in the, the backfield laying down a block? It seemed like he was walling off the edge. Yes, For, Agnew was. It, Agnew that played was a fullback a lot yesterday. That was and a, that was a nice block. I mean, he took the guy, and yep. I mean, he did what he had to do. <laughs> yep, he did. Agnew, Agnew has turned into a very good blocker. He's not a great blocker. Don't get me wrong. But he's definitely a very good, serviceable blocking tight end right now, and able to play fullback. Which, if you said that before this season, nobody would have believed. No, no, no. There, there's a, a lot of unsubstantiated hate toward that guy right there now. Is. And, and the, the only thing is, people are like, "Well, he's a third round pick. You know, we could have had Russell Wilson." It's like, ah, jeez. We, we we talked this before you came on. That we do. We we forget that. Sometimes guys just need to develop. We're very good as a Dolphins fan base for getting that. And uh, my my perfect example is Andy Dalton. He, everybody's saying he's ready to take the next step and become an elite quarterback. And granted, after yesterday, they'll probably stop saying that for a little bit. But uh, everybody says that because it's his third year. Meanwhile, we have people now a year and a half into Tannehill talking about how He's not going to ever amount to anything. That's crap. That's total um, crap. I do want to. We're probably about 15 minutes away from the end of the show, and we haven't brought it up yet, so I want to bring it up. The Jonathan Martin situation. Uh, if you if you don't know, the the Jonathan Martin basically left the team on Monday. He was at lunch. The offensive lineman apparently played some sort of prank from what I've been able to gather. It basically was Martin came walking up with his tray to get ready to sit down with all the linemen. The second he went to sit down, they all got up and walked away. Um, He then slammed his tray down on the ground and stormed out of the building and has not been back to the facility since he, I'm guessing he went home 
and talked to his family, and then he proceeded to check himself into some sort of treatment facility. The overall assumption slash understanding is it is a emotional treatment facility. So he, he's seeing a counselor and trying to work out something. Uh, there's now all kinds of discussion over whether or not he was bullied. And I think the issue here is he probably was. The offensive line probably did not realize they were doing it because you hear these guys all talking. They all like him. They want him to come back. And granted, some of that is probably, even if they do realize they're bullying him, bullies are going to say the right thing when asked. Uh, But they're saying um, they want him back. They'll be there with open arms when he does come back, and they hope he gets the help he needs. I think what probably is going on here is he's always been a quiet person. He probably came in last year, dealt with the rookie hazing, and expected it to end this year. Well, Richie Incognito, those guys are jokesters. They have been all the time. And they didn't get a rookie offensive lineman that is actually playing because Dallas Thomas isn't playing to pick on. And they just kept going after the guy they called Big Weirdo in the first place because he is so quiet and probably has issues. I mean, he he probably does. He internalizes everything. And moving him back and forth and back and forth on the offensive line probably doesn't help. They say it has nothing to do with the situation, but I'm sure it probably doesn't help. He internalizes it, and eventually it blew up. And that's what I think happened. I've been around a lot of people that have had this situation. Like, like I said a little while ago, I'm in the Army. I have seen lots and lots of soldiers that you think everything is fine. And one day, they just completely snap because they internalized everything. Now, if there is some sort of bullying going on, that's a separate issue. But dealing with the mental health aspect of somebody – You can't say that he's soft. Don't be out there calling him names, which Twitter was doing horribly when it first happened, when the news first broke. Um, Realize that this is a serious issue. And whatever happened in that cafeteria had nothing to do with the fact that he has a mental health issue. He already had the mental health issue. That was the piece that finally broke it. So, Good for him for realizing he needs to get help. Wish he had done it earlier, but at least nothing has gotten to the point that it's irreversible. He can't – he he will be fine. The team will be fine. They will find a way to work this out and get everybody back playing. Let him have the time to do what he needs to do. Now, the added piece is today the NFLPA came out and said – that they are sending in an investigation to figure out what's going on. The investigation is apparently focusing on Richie Incognito. Um, I find it funny that the the NFL Players Association is investigating a case of bullying by an NFL player on an NFL player. So they represent both sides of this situation, and somehow that's not a conflict of interest in there. And then the, the added part is everybody goes, this could be really bad for Joe Philbin. And I'm going, if the NFLPA is investigating the player on a player, 
what did Philbin do? I don't understand. We don't sit there and tell the teachers when bullying happens at the school that they did something wrong unless they did something wrong. And if Philbin saw it and knew what was happening and didn't do anything and the bullying was more than just a few pranks every now and then and um, things like that, then maybe Philbin does have an issue. But I, I think that I think the air will eventually clear. I think part of it was Martin probably has an emotional health, mental health issue. I think that there probably was pushing too far. Um, they were talking about it on the uh, Finsiders yesterday during yesterday's show. And I think it was, I think it was Keith Sims talking about it, that they, uh, they, pulled a prank on Tim Bowen and they took his pads and they hid his pads from him. And Tim Bowen's walked in, his pads were gone. He went home and he told everybody, Hey, when my pads are back, I'll be back. And they went, uh, okay. So they put his pads back and he came back the next day. But Tim Bowen's, they said, at that point we realized you can joke a little bit with him. But there's a line. Don't cross it. And maybe that's part of the problem is that they just never noticed where the line was with Jonathan Martin. And they kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and he finally broke. It may be a he tried to be the tough guy that, oh, I can take this joke, oh, I can take this joke, I can take this joke. And he never put on with, hey, guys, we need to stop now. And I I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to victimize or I'm trying to make it the victim's fault. I don't I don't want to make it sound that way. But I'm just trying to come up with what could be the situation here. And we do need to realize that this is more than just football at this point. This is actually a man's mental health. And we as fans need to realize that these are real people. These are not things that we get to just go watch every week. These are still real people. I've heard way too many people go, he has tons of money. Why is he... Um, why is he having these problems? Money has nothing to do with mental health. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. But, uh, okay, I'm off my soapbox. I mean, there's a lot of uh, athletes who I mean, we suspected to to be crazy people. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, they're just like everyone else. So, I mean, some people, some of them are thin-skinned, uh, some of them have have strange quirks. Some of them are outright weirdos. Yep. So, I mean, I don't know, but we'll we'll see more coming out of this. You have to understand, people have to understand, too, that if there's anything uh, mental health related, I don't think the team is, is able to speak on that. I don't think they're allowed to. So, um, any sort of statement, I mean, you're, you, what you're hearing sounds pretty generic. Uh, and now that this is a a, a a similar situation, but I brought this up yesterday, like when Barrett Robbins went nuts, uh, you didn't hear. I mean, at first we're just like, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. Yeah. I mean, you heard about yeah. that for weeks. I mean, he just he went. We, I mean, it was just weird. People thought he he got too drunk. I remember that was one of them. People thought yep. that he drank himself into a stupor and all this other crap. And then it turned out that no, he just had a a mental breakdown. He was bipolar. He was not taking his medicine. 
Uh, so, yep. I mean, this is, I mean, you have bipolar athletes out there. You have guys who suffer from depression. Uh, that dude who pitches for the Dodgers, that Granky, that guy's like a, a classic head case. Well, I remember when he was pitching in Kansas City and he was started to, to mess with his ability to, to pitch because he had these, right, this, this, you know, this depression thing going on. And then, I mean, he ended up getting it taken care of. And, I mean, he won a Cy Young. So, I yep. mean, there are people in all walks um, of life, sports and everything that, I mean, have, they have lives too. You know, it's not like, you know, they're they're not robots. They don't go into autopilot or, or shutoff mode when they're not on the field. Keynote 4 just posted, recent update, Martin and Incognito exchanged texts. He doesn't blame Incognito. I went over to the link he put in there, and it says, uh, Dolphins guard Richie Incognito told, this is on NFL.com, Dolphins guard Richie Incognito told Darlington that he heard back from Martin on Friday after he'd reached out to him to see how Martin was doing. In the middle of a conversation that lasted 19 texts, Martin wrote the following to Incognito. Yeah, I'm good, man. It's insane, bro, but just know I don't blame you guys at all. It's just the culture around football and the locker room got to me a little. So it probably is. It probably is just that was the last straw, and he he has issues. And for all we know, he absolutely could have been on medication for some sort of mental health issue. Absolutely, 100% could be. He could have stopped taking it. Personally, I have experience with people that they will be on meds, everything will be fine, and then suddenly, for whatever reason, their body just changes, the hormones change, the chemicals change, and those meds don't work anymore. And it will be a one day everything is perfectly fine, they're normal, and the next day the chemicals swing completely out of balance and they are suddenly in the corner unable to do anything. So it absolutely can happen that fast, and it absolutely can cause things like that. Um, I know I've, I've had it with soldiers that I've been in command of. I know that others have had this, and fortunately for me, it'll, it worked out in the end. For other people that I know, people that are close to me, it didn't work out, unfortunately. But you will have situations where a guy – a soldier you see every day, you talk to him on a Friday and, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, uh, me and my wife are going to go down to, I mean, I'm here in Texas, so we'll say down to San Antonio. Or my daughter's birthday party is next weekend, so we're planning everything this weekend or things like that. And then they go home Friday night and you're getting a phone call that they're either attempting suicide, contemplating suicide, or they committed suicide. So it absolutely can be something that fast that you see them and everything seems fine and three hours later they're gone or they're trying to be gone. And it, it's, it's really scary when things like this happen. And looking back on it, you always can go, oh, well, you should have seen the signs. He was asking for help and nobody noticed. And hindsight is always twenty twenty. Because there are times where you just don't see it. And afterwards, you can look at the signs and go, yep, they were there. But in the situation, you just might not see it. And they said afterwards, I think it was incognito, but somebody said, um, Martin has been a little more aloof the last week or so. So the sign was probably there that, hey, it's getting to him. 
That could also be the fact that they traded for a tackle, and now he suddenly doesn't know his role, and he's suddenly a left tackle in college that was a great left tackle in college and was able to do things and was supposed to be a first-round pick, then was a second-round pick. The Dolphins got him, moved him to right tackle, put him back at left tackle. He didn't play as well as he thought he should as a rookie. He spent all off-season training camp, preseason, and the start of this season at left tackle. And what do the Dolphins go and do? They go and trade for a left tackle and move him back to right tackle. So that all can build up. And they could have seen the aloofness of the past week as him trying to deal with that. But looking back on it, they'd probably say, yeah, he was more aloof. In the situation up until the moment he slammed that tray down and walked out, maybe they didn't realize that he was more aloof. Maybe they were trying to joke with him to get him out of it, something like that. So it will be interesting to see where this NFLPA investigation goes. Um, We'll see. I mean, I don't know how the NFLPA can – go after one player while representing another player in an association where they represent both players, it just becomes weird. Um, And I saw it. Where is it? Uh, Somebody said it, Urbino pointed out, Justin Blackman getting suspended indefinitely today is probably a great thing for Jonathan Martin because it does turn the attention a little bit away from the Dolphins and a little bit away from Jonathan Martin and lets him – somebody said it earlier on the site and it's a great point we're we're talking about a guy that is dealing with mental health issues and has been under a lot of pressure so what are we doing we're shining the spotlight on him and discussing every little aspect of the situation probably not the best situation for him so getting the spotlight off him probably is a great thing right now uh Something Agent Jay said is he thinks he knows exactly what the issue is. He's not going to discuss here. I know what he's alluding to. I don't know. I can't, I mean, that's, I mean, I can't sit here and, and try to uh, try to presume anything or assume anything, really. I mean, it's something where it's a situation, it seems rather straightforward. And, uh, I mean, just looking at the details, it is. All you can really say is, I mean, the guy, the guy flipped out. Uh, yep. It's we don't know what's going on with him. We don't we don't know the motives. We don't know uh, what could have caused it. So I mean, um, it, it's really tough for us to sit here and try to try to figure out what took place. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to do that. I do know what what he is uh, suggesting, and I mean, yeah, I mean that's. Uh, th- that's a part of culture today. I mean, that's something where, um, I mean, when you're living in a uh, a world where, I mean, with the internet and if information is distributed immediately and everything, I mean, you you have really nowhere to hide. So, um, I mean, any any details about your personal life, anything out there, especially if you're an athlete, you're a public figure, uh, it's out there. Um, so yeah. I mean, I'd imagine. I mean, all these guys are under the microscope uh, 24/7, especially with the advantation of, uh, you know, NFL.com, NFL Network. I mean, you're literally seeing what these guys are doing all the time. And Twitter. I mean, you know what they're doing all the time. So I mean, it, it's it's hard to live your life. And I mean, I mean, people think like, hey, wouldn't it be so awesome to be famous and make millions of dollars? I mean, I mean, I I think that I mean, I'd love to have that much money. 
but uh, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, the whole thing of celebrity is, is something that not everyone is built for. Uh, I mean, there there are people, I mean, you you think about these guys who might be introverts or guys who are uncomfortable just being the, the center of attention in a room. We'll try being the center of attention uh, in front of, you know, millions of people uh, during a sporting event or something. I mean, that's something that uh, many humans are not equipped to deal with. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we could sit here and, and try to play doctor, try to play psychiatrist, and try to figure out what, what triggered uh, Jonathan Martin's thing. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, lots of possibilities, but I don't think we're gonna fi- we're gonna find out about it anytime soon. I and that that much I think I'm I'm sure of. I mean, it's something where when he's uh, comfortable with with coming out and talking about it, sure. I mean, and I mean everyone's gonna want to know. But I mean, in the meantime, I think it's it's total crap to say like he quit on his team or anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's r- really unfair. I I understand he's paid a lot of money to do his job. But there's still a human element involved. Um, you think about like Barry Sanders just up and deciding to retire prior to the, to the '99 season. Uh, I mean, and that wasn't a mental break. I mean, he just had enough. You know, he decided that he didn't want to. He didn't want to end up uh, hobbled, or you, you know, the with the um, sort of the uh, the the mental. Um, effects that have uh, happened with guys like Jim McMahon, guys who are really suffering from a lot of the blows to the head that they took during their playing careers. It's almost like Barry, want, Barry just wanted to get out while he was on top. And a lot of, I know a lot of people thought that he quit on the Lions for that. Um, I mean, this is something where we, I mean, we just don't know. So, I mean, let's reserve judgment until we do know. Yep, I agree. I mean, you just, you, you have to, we we just have to sit back and let this all work itself out. I mean, there, there's there's nothing that anybody can do. There's nothing anybody can say that makes this any better. Just let him get his head on straight. Let him deal with whatever is going on in his life that got him to this point. And eventually he will come back. Uh, there's been talk about how he quit on the team, so the Dolphins could never welcome him back. Um with the team that saw Ricky Williams depart just before training camp, I'm fairly certain that this team can find a way to let a football player come back. Different situations, obviously. wasn't the middle of the season, all that kind of stuff. But a football player who can make plays and be a functioning member of a team is going to be welcomed back because he makes the team better. So, don't worry about that. They'll they'll work that all out. And in the end, if the Dolphins feel that they have to trade him, they'll make a trade, and it'll be good for him to get away from the situation. It'll be good for the team. They can figure all that out later. Right now, the most important thing is Jonathan Martin get healthy, get his head on straight, get back, and be ready to go when he feels he is ready to go because he can't rush back throw himself back into an environment that he's not ready to handle and have something else happen. So um, to go away from this, and I don't want to just abruptly change the subject, but I'm going to just abruptly change the subject. 
Oh, now I lost my question. The thing slid, and I lost my good question. Um, I don't remember. Oh, well. Huh. Uh, well, the only thing I, I would add to the whole Martin <laughs> thing is it's important for us oh. as fans to just address, you know, kind of approach this thing as human beings instead of just, instead of acting like savages, uh, you know, in the audience at the Roman Coliseum, just out for blood yeah. at all times. Just sit here and understand that, yes, he's paid a lot of money to do his job, but, I mean, you also have no idea what's going on in his life. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's he's a human. Uh, humans make mistakes, and, but humans are also, I mean, part of the condition is that uh, things are going to bother you. Things are going to come up in your life that that challenge you, that upset you, that can you know they can derail your your social life, your your work life, things like that happen. So I mean, it's just I mean, uh, until we know exactly what happens, uh, it's just I mean I would I would just wait. I mean I'm not mad at all. I, I read a lot of comments yesterday. It seemed like people were really upset with him, like they felt like he had let them down. Which is funny because a lot of comments suggested that prior to that, um, you'd think like people would be happy he's not on the field because I mean he takes a lot of crap. So I, I don't know. I understand the whole code of right. code of honor, code of valor going on here. <clears throat> but to, to sit there and be like, oh, he just quit on us and just write him off. I mean, we're not frat boys here, okay? This right. is a this is a fraternity week. You can't just sit there and run him off because he didn't complete his pledge. That's that's BS. Well, we're down to about 15 minutes left before we get kicked out, out of the program by uh, Blog Talk Radio. So the, the, what I wanted to bring back up is go back to the offensive coordinator. And I saw it in there. I saw you respond to it. But the name that caught my attention as I was flying through, and I think it was Agent J that said it, was get Mike Shula. That's an yes. interesting idea. Absolutely an interesting idea. Um, it would be a lateral move for him, but at the same time, when Don calls you up and goes, get your butt down here to Miami, he goes, yes, sir, and moves. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm down uh, with that idea. I mean, the Shulas in Miami go together like peas and carrots. So, I mean, it'd be, that's it'd be interesting. Up. It would be really interesting if Sherman or uh, if uh, Shula came down there at the same time that Marino got a front office job of some sort, and then you're all sitting here going, uh, what exactly is happening down here? <laughs> Are we oh, in the man. 80s? I don't know what just happened. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, been, I've been traumatized by, by Michael Jordan's stint uh, with the yeah. Bobcats. That, uh, I'm almost to the point where I feel like just because they're you know, great players, it's like sometimes they should just stay players. I, I agree. I think that if Marino is, is is serious about wanting to get involved with an organization like that, I think that the smart move for him is to get a job, probably working with Donna Ponte. Um, he can learn from Jeff Ireland and learn the scouting side and all that. But I think you get a job probably working for Donna Ponte, somewhere in that area, and get involved without having the decision-making level or decision-making power yet. Maybe in a few Actually, years he does get promoted into that, but that's probably where I would start. Speaking of Donna Ponte, 
uh, Armando put out a an article yesterday, and which pretty much suggested that uh, Joe Philbin is a puppet, and Donna Ponte has her hand up his ass, and is, is simply manipulating him. Uh, that's what I took from it, and that she's ultimately interesting. Got him on lockdown. That's that's what I took from it. It sounded like hey, it sounded like very much like she's calling a lot more shots. Um, I was not aware of of her commanding that sort of power within the organization. I know that everyone thinks highly of her. I know that she has a uh, high rank within the Dolphins organization, but I, I didn't really think of it as sort of. Philbin doesn't strike me as a yes yes man. Yeah. yeah. Angle, and I mean that was my interpretation. I think that, and I mean I was a little bit crude with that explanation, but I think ultimately what you're saying is, uh, um, it seems like Phil didn't her a lot better ass. I mean you would never stop doing that. I mean that, I know it was one of his, uh, one of his points in there. I mean you run down a constant out on the field and things about and around your choice. I mean he he tolerated it get the hell out of there, you know. So. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't see the article. I'll have to go find it now. I will say that Armando's driving me crazy on Twitter right now because he has – I think that it's funny. It seems like he and Omar are starting to switch places because Omar is starting to – I think he's starting to – I don't want to say believe in, but he's starting to get positive feelings from the Dolphins. And he, he, he still absolutely says that there still needs to be proof, and he's not 100% that, that we shouldn't see change and all that kind of stuff. But he is, I mean, like, I, I love the fact that during the game he tweets out things like, uh, Jeff Ireland just missed those last three tackles. I find those tweets absolutely hysterical. Who tweeted uh, that? Omar. Omar tweets oh out things like that. Because, and he's completely on the sarcastic, pointing out how ridiculous it is that we blame everything on Jeff Ireland's side. But uh, Wasn't he, he uh, criticizing us this summer for for that same stance, though? Yes. But... Huh. Um, Whatever. But Armando... Armando is... He definitely is in the, I'm going to make a tweet that says something positive, but then I'm going to end it with yet or for now or stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see how their attitudes as the season are going on are changing between some of the head beat writers and who's swinging towards the, I'm going to be a cynic about everything and who's becoming a little more positive. It's just an odd observation, but I'll have to go find the Donna Ponte article. But we are down to either an article or an extensive tweet. I'm forgetting now. Um, You're always going to have cynics, but like I read a story today about how some guy, some Red Sox fan, was trying to call up the front office to complain about some of the decisions decisions (laughs) Don Farrell made during the World Series. Like, could you be any more of an asshat? He called. He called the radio station. Thursday morning, he called a radio station to complain about the decisions that the manager had made 
the night the team or he says it was for the whole series, but the night the team won the World Series, he's calling to complain about the manager who just won the World Series. You won the game six like, to one. What are you serious? He was out. I mean, he was using examples like the fact that he left Lester in the game. And it was like, okay, you didn't get punished for that. Um, or that. Oh, Lackey. Or Lackey, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, he left Lackey in. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the other example he used. Um, but it was just it was just horrible. It was like the most ridiculous things. And um, I, I saw it because Mike and Mike in the morning played it this morning about how ridiculous this was. And Greenberg is just absolutely busting up hysterically laughing at how ridiculous this is. And he goes, that's how we are, though. That's, I mean, the day after the World Series, you win it, you're complaining about your manager. What do you want? Do you want to fire the guy? I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, it was absolutely hysterical. I don't, yeah, that – Greenberg's a Yankees fan, isn't he? Um, I think so. I know he's from the New York area, and he's fans of the New York teams. I mean, obviously, maybe, he's a Jet fan. Maybe he's a fan of the Metropolitans. I don't know, whatever. Maybe. Uh, but, I mean, really, uh, you got to give the Red Sox credit to come back from that game three, uh, just that the, the heinous way in which that game ended, and to really polish – polish off St. Louis after that. It was incredibly right. impressive. You know, there are a lot of teams that would have folded. I mean, that was a horrible way to lose in game three. I mean, they, I mean, they, they get that, they tag the guy out at home. I mean, you got things going. You're, it's Chances are you're going to get out of that inning and get it into extras, and then that happens. And, I mean, they just came out and just cracked heads the next night. I mean, they're a great team. I mean, I have yep. total respect for that Red Sox team, and I am not and a Red Sox fan. I like what they said, um, that the front office and the entire coaching staff, they came in this off season and basically said, this is what we want. We don't need the big, flashy players. We need players that are down-to-earth, hardworking, go out there and get it done, grind it out. And that's what this team was. Absolutely. And grow great beards. And they do grow great beards. And they really like to yank on each other's beards, which we'll leave that as it is. That's a little <laughs> weird, yeah. And when he went up and, like, I, he, it was like he was trying to tear Johnny Gomes' face off. It absolutely was. Absolutely. But, and Big Poppy did not curse at the end on um, live TV. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank God. But but I have heard – there was a lot of talk yesterday about Big Poppy and possibly being on PEDs. And it's like, wow, we didn't even make it to 24 hours after the World Series before the rumors and questioning and everything came out. But, okay. Well, Keith, thank you very much for calling in tonight. Um, Thank you for having me. It was uh, it was fun trying to do this by myself, and then you came in and saved the day, and I didn't have to just talk to myself for the night. So thanks very much, <laughs> uh, guys. We will be back on next Friday. 
Obviously, there won't be a Dolphins game to talk about between now and then since the Dolphins have already played for this week. So we'll be pretty much talking about any news and then previewing the Monday night game against the Buccaneers. So two back-to-back primetime games on national TV. Can't really complain about that. So uh, four and four, enjoy this win. Don't, Don't get too much into it right now. Let next week start the analysis of the things that are still wrong. But enjoy the fact that the Dolphins won. Enjoy the fact that they won on the most ridiculous way possible that's only happened three times in NFL history. And enjoy the fact that Cameron Wake had three sacks, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and a safety. So enjoy it. And we'll be back next week to talk again. And, yeah, that's about it. I can't think of what my other and was. So everybody have a good night, and thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.